we find ourselves in a series called The Uncompromised Church, and we've been looking at um, the church as Christ and God desired it to be, and we looked at a couple things last week um, about the church, and I just want to quickly review these for us, and we're not going to get through the whole outline today, we'll share some of it for next week, but I did want to let you know at the end of the service you're going to be giving two little tests, they're called spiritual gift assessments, if you already took it, don't take one, I think there's only 40 back there, but uh, it's for adults, and um, there's a spiritual gift inventory and a spiritual gift assessment, and they're both, you know, they're not hard and tried methods, but if you do it prayerfully and you go through and answer the questions and follow the directions, it kind of points you in a direction. If you don't know what your spiritual gifting may be, it kind of points you in a certain direction and you can uh, begin to kind of explore how God wants you to be used in the body here at Grace Bible Church. And it's good to know your spiritual gifts, how God has gifted you in, in different ways, but a test is not necessarily a hard and true way to find that out. My, my uh, advice to you is once you get pointed in a certain direction, try it out. Begin to serve in a certain place, and as we said last week, if, you're, if it's not your gifting, you'll know right away, and so will everybody else that's serving with you. So, um, but that's, that's what that's all about, and you'll get those on the way out. We didn't want people taking the test during the uh, message, so you got some homework this week. You can take those home and prayerfully fill those out, and, and uh, just it's for your own um, Kind of wisdom and understanding what your gifting is. But last week we looked at the basis of the church and we talked about some misconception. First of all, we talked about how the church is not a promotional agency. We're not here to promote anything but Christ, okay, and His Word and His truth. It's also not, we're not a church that's in the business of making a profit. We're a non-profit organization. Um, and sometimes churches get mixed up in, in all kinds of schemes and scandals and all sorts of things. And, and we understand that... Uh, um, we're not here to uh, just make make money. Okay, that's not not the purpose of our fellowship here. Uh, also, the church is not a organiz- organization run by paid professionals. Um, we, we believe that the church is made up of individuals, uh, members of the body of Christ, and they're called to serve one another and serve Christ through the local church. It's also not a community center, social center. And you say, well, then what is the church? Uh, what kind of organization is it? Well, first of all, it's not an organization. We talked about this last week. It's an organism. It's something that's alive. It's living. And unfortunately, a lot of churches today treat the church as if it were dead. And it was just an organizational structure kind of a thing. And they take all the, the organizational methods of the world and they apply that template to the church, thinking somehow that that's going to better the church. God has given us the structure of the church right in his word, and that's what we desire to follow, not some secular means. There's nothing wrong with being organized, but as I said last week, sometimes the more organized Christians get, the, the less Christian they become <laughs> So in their actions and everything else. So we want to be careful about that. And then we looked a little bit about the attitudes within the church, obedience, uh, humility, love, unity. All these are attitudes that should be possessed by believers who make up the local church. Joy, peace, thankfulness, uh, self-discipline, accountability, forgiveness, dependence, flexibility, growth, faithfulness, hope. And then the last one we looked at was a willingness to serve. And under that heading, we wanted to look at the need for your giftedness. And we talked a little bit about that. And we also talked about the nature of your giftedness. And we looked at all that stuff last week. And then in closing, we, we kind of looked at um, two things. First of all, 
we who know God are called to be, first of all, the salt and the light of this world. We're not to be separated um, from the world in our practical uh, uh, life, all right? We're to be separated them by them in our morality and in the, the God that we follow, but we still have to live in a lost and dying world that's filled with sin. And we're not supposed to go up on top of a mountain and live like a bunch of monks and remove ourselves from all that. It was the example of Christ who dined with sinners. He went out and he reached out to them. I had the opportunity the other day to go down and talk to a group of folks that were gathered down here for this memorial for this young man. And um, just just talk to them about some spiritual things. It wasn't anything great. I mean, you you can't really walk into a memorial thing like that and kind of just start evangelizing, but I wanted them to know that as a church we were praying for them and, and that we, we cared for them. Uh, so we're the salt and light in the world. We're also to be ambassadors to this world. We saw that. We also noticed that we were pilgrims in the world. We're passing through. We're sojourners. This isn't our home, and the quicker we understand that, um, the better we'll uh, fit in the church because sometimes things outside the church get our attention to the point where we don't have any time or energy or funds or anything left for the church. And so we need to be reminded sometimes that the church should be our priority. Serving Christ should be our priority. Uh, we talked about our placement in the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians 12. We talked about that it's passive. It's something that God does on our behalf. He puts us in the body of Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Christ. And it's also personal. This is good for a lot of people who are religious because I was religious for 19 years of my life and I didn't understand that God could be a personal God. I went to a church, I did the altar boy thing, did the whole thing, but my, my, religi- my religiosity was removed from my life. There was no connection at all. And once I realized that God loved me and that he sent Christ to die on a cross for me, that it's a personal commitment I need to make to him and that he makes to me, that changed my whole life. And then also we looked at, thirdly, that it was permanent. Once you're part of the body of Christ, once you've been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ, you're there to stay, beloved. There's not such a thing as losing your salvation if you genuinely have it. Now, everybody's got stories. Well, you know, I knew this guy in, in high school, and boy, he was just he was a soul winner, and he was just on fire Christian. Now he's, you know, a drug addict, and he rejects Christ. What do you think about that? Didn't he lose his salvation? I say, no, he never had it. See, the, the unfortunate thing in the world in which we live, especially in America, you can be born in America and go to, go to a church on Easter and Christmas and call yourself a Christian. And people actually believe they are. And it's unfortunate because that's not what makes a Christian. What makes a Christian is coming to a holy God broken over your sin, realizing that he's the only answer for forgiveness. Once you become part of the body of Christ, it says that we were baptized into the body. It's in the aorist tense. It means it's a one-time action that took place at an unspecified time in the past. Isn't it neat to know that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, Ephesians says? It's not up to us. It's up to God touching our heart, causing us to repent of our sin and coming to him afresh. Well, today I want to talk to you about your unique gifts and talents. And I want to ask you two questions. Do you know them and are you using them? Now, 
we're not really going to answer those questions today, but that's going to be part of next week's message. But we kind of have to lay a little foundation here so we know what we're talking about. We have to understand, first of all, when we come to the topic, the subject matter of spiritual gifts, there's people all over the map on this subject. I mean, you know, you got all people have making up all kinds of gifts that aren't even listed in Scripture. And so we want to make sure that we're biblical when we approach this. And this is by no means to to be a thorough study on the subject matter of spiritual gifts. This is just kind of meant to whet your appetite. We'll we'll cover this when we go through the book of 1 Corinthians. I like to teach through books of the Bible, not just pull out subjects here and there, because you can't really do the text justice. But when we go through the book of 1 Corinthians, we're going to do an in-depth study on the whole aspect of top subject matter of spiritual gifts. But I just want to kind of whet your appetite a little bit and understand that it was an important matter in the New Testament church, the subject of spiritual gifts. And it should be in our church today as well. Now, if you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where we're going to be spending some time here this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First of all, it's important to understand what a spiritual gift is. Okay? Some people, you know, they'll say if you... If you um, play an instrument or something, they'll come up and say, oh boy, you have the spiritual gift of music. What? Where's that? I don't see that listed. That's a talent. God may have even given you that talent. But there's a lot of people, beloved, that can play music that have nothing to do with the spirit of Christ. So that's not necessarily a spiritual gift. I would define a spiritual gift as this, and I think it's up there. Is it up on the not working? Okay. A uh, spiritual gift is this, a God-given capacity through which the Holy Spirit supernaturally ministers to the body. A spiritual gift is a God-given capacity. It's something that God gives us through which the Holy Spirit supernaturally ministers to the body of Christ. That's very important to understand. Because if you don't understand the definition of spiritual gifting, you're not going to understand whether you got it or whether you don't. There's a little study here. There's five words used here in this, uh, in this chapter. And they're not in your notes because I kind of decided to put this in the last minute. But um, they're up there on the screen. They should be. Five words in this chapter. And there's, it's almost like you're looking at... Um, spiritual enablement of the church from different angles, okay? In, in verse 1 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, all right? See it there? Concerning spiritual gifts in verse 1. That's the word that means to be spiritually enabled by the Holy Spirit. Pneumatics. It's, it's the idea that, that the Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to have a spiritual gift and to carry out using that spiritual gift. Now down in verse 4 of chapter 12, it says there are a variety of gifts. See it there? Diversity of gifts, maybe your translation says. We've all heard the word charismatic. That basically means 
You know, sometimes we look at somebody who's got a charismatic personality. Oh, they're electrifying or they're whatever. You know, charming personality. Well, the word charis means grace. It comes from the Greek word grace. It, it means it's an undeserved gift. Your, your gifting by the Holy Spirit is just that. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you beg for. It's not something that somehow you can finagle God to give you something else instead of what you got. You know, like at Christmas time when you get that little gift and you open it up and you're all excited and you're like, oh, this isn't what I want. But you smile and say, thanks, you know. And then as soon as they leave, you take it back to the store and get something else. You ever done that? Exchange? Well, you can't do that with your spiritual gift. God has uniquely gifted each one of us. And that word grace means it's an undeserved gift. We don't deserve it. It's not like God sits up there in heaven and says, oh, that person, I'm going to give him this gift because of his talent in this area. That's not how it works. God has gifted us according to his sovereign knowledge of us. Your your spiritual capacity, your charisma is a gift of God's grace. I mean, none of us can say, yeah, I'm, I'm in my spiritual journey and I'm where I am today because of me. You would never think of saying that. You would say, no, it's because of the Lord. It's because of God's grace in my life that he allowed me to come to know him, that he allowed me to, to possess the Holy Spirit, that he allowed me to have these gifts. He allowed me to have his word that I can open every day whenever I want and study it and read it. He allowed me to have communication to him through prayer. We don't deserve any of those things. But by His grace, through Christ, He makes those things available to us. That word, by the way, is used 17 times in the New Testament. 11 times it refers to spiritual gifts. Other times it refers to what we know, salvation. So just like salvation is a free gift, so is our spiritual gifts. So you have to understand, the gifting that you have, you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it. It's by the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says this, By the grace of God, I am what I am. That's it. It's by the grace of God. And then there's a third word, administrations. That's in verse 5. It says, and there are varieties of, the ESV says, service. We get the word deacon from that word. What's a deacon? A deacon is someone who serves. They're a servant. So there's a variety of grace gifts, different spiritual gifts, different Holy Spirit-enabled gifts, and there's different services as well. And so we want to see here this word, administration, really has the understanding that we're called to serve the body of Christ. Um, the other word that is, is used is that word that I just used, service. Um, and and it's, it's used in a variety of places, but it also relates to that, that word. Uh, it's just another word for spiritual gift. And then the, the, the other word is operations. Operations, uh, which means kind of energies. And that's used a lot of times. It, it says there that... Um, it is God who empowers them all in everyone. There's a variety there in verse 6 of activities. 
Okay, activities. It's, it comes from a Greek word that we get the word energy from. These are not natural talents. God isn't gifting you to, you know, have the ability to play the piano or, or anything like that. That's not what we're talking about. That's a talent. You can take somebody that doesn't know how to play the piano and sit them down and take them through a class and teach them how to play the piano. Many of you went through that, even though you didn't like it. As young, young people, you know, your mom or dad made you play an instrument. Maybe it was a piano, maybe it was a violin. I don't know the parents about making kids play the violin, man. That's got to be a torture when they're learning. Have you ever heard somebody play a violin and don't know what they're doing? Oh, man. I mean, at least a piano, you got some notes there that, you know, you can pick and choose, but a, a violin is just that screeching. It's a beautiful instrument if you know how to play it, but boy, if you don't, look out. I took, I, I, actually, when I first came to this church, I thought it'd be cool to learn to play the saxophone. So I rented a saxophone, and I used to be over there in my office, and rented it for about two months. And I got a couple honks out of it. And I, was just, I just want to learn to play Amazing Grace. And I kind of got through it. But, man, it, it's a lot of work. You know, you got to read and you got to do all this stuff and tune it. And it was too much work for me. I'll just stick to the piano. But it was, it was one of those things that, you know, those are not the kind of things we're talking about here. We're talking about God enabling us to do these things. All right? And so it's important that we, we realize that our giftedness comes from God. Well, what's the important thing here? In verse 1 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Now concerning these spiritual gifts, brothers, it's Christians who possess these gifts, ones who are outside of Christ wouldn't have a spiritual giftedness because they're not part of the body of Christ. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed. Some translations may say, I don't want you to be ignorant. Okay, we kind of get that word. Uninformed is kind of a little different kind of word, but ignorant. We, we know what it means to be ignorant of something. And Paul's concern here was that, you know what? I do not want you to be ignorant of your spiritual giftedness. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Why is Paul making such a big deal out of this? I mean, if they're saved, you think that would be important. You know, if they're living for the Lord, what's the big deal about all this spiritual gifted thing? Why are you doing this whole thing on... Because, you know what? Beloved, you have to understand the church cannot function without the operation of spiritual gifts being used within the body. It can't function. It's, it's, it just doesn't work. It's broken. And so the Holy Spirit operates and moves and works through those who are called into the body of Christ and he uses them to build up the body of Christ. See, each one of you who know Christ or are here today are gifted in a certain way. And God's instruction to you and command to you is, you know what? Understand, first of all, what your gifting is and then get busy using it within the body of Christ. It's very important that you do that. Now, just as important as Paul's concern here is also, it's such an important thing that Satan actually is in the counterfeit business. He takes this whole subject matter of spiritual gifts and he makes it a major divisive thing within the body of Christ. It was never meant to be that way. Now, it's important that you understand in the church of Corinth, we talked a little bit about this last week, Satan was actually counterfeiting certain gifts within the body of Christ. 
And so these folks were experiencing certain things. And because of their experience, they were taking the word of God, the words of Christ, the words of Paul, and they were setting it aside and saying, no, we experienced this. Experience trumped the word of God. And beloved, that's the day and age we live in today. There's people that have certain experiences in the spirit. And everybody goes, whoa, wow, how incredible is that? My question to you is, are those experiences that those people are having, first of all, are they biblical? Do they line up with what Scripture has revealed to us? We're going to be having a seminar on some of these things in a couple of weeks. I would really encourage you to come out because there's a lot of heresy, a lot of false teaching, a lot of extra-biblical teaching based on people's experience. And Satan is using it to divide the body of Christ. And it's unfortunate when you stand up for truth that they point the finger at you and say, no, you're dividing the body of Christ. See, we live in a church today, the Evangelical Church of America in general, that basically has accepted all that. In spite of all the the scandals, in spite of all the financial uh, mess that these people create, in spite of you know, organizations like 60 Minutes and, and, and all those groups, 2020, doing exposés on some of these teachers, exposing them for the heretics and the false teachers that they are. And yet the church goes, wow, we, you know, we don't want to name names and point things out. That's being divisive. No, it's not. It's standing up for what the Word of God says is true. Think of all the people that are led down the wrong path. The path of experience. The path that, hey, anything goes. You know, if you fall on the floor and flop around a little bit, maybe that's a, well, that's a wonderful experience in the Lord. No, it's not. That's not scriptural. We don't see that. And so we we need to come back to what the Bible has instructed us. And see, what happened in the Corinthian church, they kind of got off the road map. They started holding on to all these experiences. And so Paul wrote them out of concern because he knew Satan was counterfeiting certain things within the body of Christ. He says in verse 2, look it. You know that when you were pagans, right? Before you were Christians, you were led astray to mute idols. In other words, you were believing in something that couldn't do anything for you. However, you were led. Therefore, he says, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. What does that mean? Somehow, within the Corinthian church, when all this stuff was going on, apparently someone was saying that. That Jesus was accursed. And he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, like I said, this isn't meant to be an in-depth study of this text. And it's unfortunate because there's so much there. But you and I both know if we went down the street here to maybe the coffee shop or the liquor store and went in and said, Hey, I'll give you ten bucks if you say Jesus is Lord. What do you think they're going to do? Well, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, thanks. Okay, here you go. Does that mean they're a Christian? No. 
Is that what he's saying? You mouth those words and... No, that's not what he's saying. It's a whole much bigger thing than that. When he says there that you say Jesus is Lord, the only way you can say that is by the Holy Spirit. What that means is only God is the author of our salvation. Only, the only way that we can be born again, beloved, is by the Spirit's work and by God's work in our lives. It's not a prayer you pray. It's not some church you go to. It's not whether you raise your hand or not. All those things God uses in His grace, don't get me wrong. But what Paul is saying is that, you know what? Your, your new life in Christ is something that God has gifted you with. He's blessed you with. And the only way that you're able to say Jesus is Lord is because He empowers you to say it. When you really mean it. When you've given your life over to Him. And so spiritual giftedness is such an important thing that Satan takes the opportunity to use it as a divisive thing within the body of Christ. And one of the main ways he does that is he allows people to experience certain things. And because they experienced it, how do you argue with that? I mean, if they really believe that happened and that that really is what happened and God told them this or God told them that, See, my Bible says that, you know what? The Word of God, the canon of Scripture is closed. We have everything we have right here. We don't need to go out and pray for some new revelation from God. Now, God may give you insights. He may, you know, move you through the work of the Spirit as you read the Word. Hey, I'm all for that. But don't you dare come and say, oh, i got a new revelation. Thus saith the Lord. And people do that all the time. you got to be real careful with that. And so there's a real concern here by Paul. You see this down in verse 12 because Paul begins to use a, he's trying to figure out how he can communicate these truths about the body of Christ to these folks at the church of Corinth. And you have to understand, this church had every gift. The members of this church possessed everything. All the gifts. And as they came together as individuals, they made up a body of Christ. They're a local church. But look at what he says in verse 12. Because they had some issues going on. Even though they were blessed with a variety of giftedness, they had some issues going on. And Paul uses the analogy of the body. And he says in verse 12, For just as the body is one, just as the body is one and has what? Many members, and all of the members of the body, though many are one body. So we are also with Christ. What's that speaking of? That's speaking of unity within the body of Christ. See, the reason God gifts us is not to divide the body of Christ. When we come together and say some of you are gifted with the gift of administration, some of you are gifted with the gift of teaching or preaching, some of you are gifted with the gift of mercy or giving. We don't come to church and say, okay, all the givers over here, you sit here. Administration guys, you get over here. Those of you who are teaching, you know, you're, you don't do that. No, we come together as the body of Christ. There's a unity among us. Well, 
It's one body, yet it has many members. Kind of like your, your body. If you cut your arm off, you're missing something, right? I mean, you think of some of these wounded warriors that go over to Afghanistan and Iraq and they come back and they're missing appendages, they're missing legs and feet and eyes. And, you know, it's an incomplete person. I mean, science tries the best to, to get them prosthetics and whatever, but even that, they're, they're missing something. And just like you wouldn't give up one of your arms for a million dollars, oh yeah, yeah, go ahead and cut it off for a million dollars, I'll take it. Or two of your legs for five million I don't know of a person that would say, yeah, I'll take that. Why? Because they're important to you. Those members are of your body. They complete you as a person. So it is with the body of Christ. Even though we're many members, we come together and we are one in Christ. We're made to drink of the same spirit. We're all baptized by the same spirit into the same body. Ephesians 4.3 says, keep the unity of the Spirit. The Spirit of God gives us life, gives us eternal life. We have that same eternal life pulsating through our bodies, each one of us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, to make himself Christ, speaking of Christ, to make in himself of two one new man. What's he talking about? When the church was born, it took the Jew and the Gentile, the two kind of segments of society and their culture, and it put it into one body. That's why they had such a complicated time at first, understanding how can a Jew and a Gentile be in the same body? That doesn't make any sense. Ephesians 4 says, For there is one body and one spirit, and we are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We're all on the same field, beloved. It's like we're on a team together playing football. We're all out there on the team. If you're on the team and you're sitting in the stands, the the team's going to be missing something. Have you ever seen a football player, a football team play with not enough players on the field? It doesn't go too well. Or better yet, hockey. Those of you who love hockey, what do they do? They penalize them. They take one of their guys away. Well, what happens? Boy, the other team takes advantage of that. Why? Because they're not a complete team. So when we come together as the body of Christ, you have to understand God has gifted us all in a unique way, and we're to come together and be unity, unified together in the body of Christ. Our spiritual giftedness is not to divide us. It's to strengthen that unity. Look at what it says in verse 14. Not only are we to be unified, and this may seem almost kind of the opposite, but there's also diversity. There's also a diversity that's, that's born out in the body of Christ. It says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 12, For the body does not consist of one member, right? But of many. I mean, I can read this to my grandkids and they laugh. They think it's funny. And that's almost what Paul is trying to get across here. Look at what he says in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand. That's my grandkids' voice I do that with. I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye. 
I don't belong to the body. That would make it, not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, I mean, isn't that weird? Think about it. If your whole body was an eyeball. It says, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? See? It's, it's so important for us to understand that even though we have unity within the body of Christ, there's a God-given diversity there. And I don't know about you, but I thank God for that. Think how boring it would be in church if we were all the same. You know, there are some churches, beloved, that try to make people in their church all the same. You've got to dress a certain way. You've got hair, hair over the ears. You, everything's, boy, just right down the line. And if you question anything, well, you're out of there. You know, that's called legalism. That's not what we're called to. We're called to be unified as the body of Christ and yet understand that we're all different. God has gifted every one of us in a different way. And he says there in verse 18, which is important, But as it is, look at what it says. Who arranged the members? What's it say? God arranged the members in the body. Each one of them as what? As he chose. Wonder why he didn't leave it up to us. (laughs) You ever wonder about that? Oh, you're a Christian now? Okay, choose your giftings. I mean, can you imagine the mess that the church would be? No, God chose our giftedness. He arranges the members of the body, each one as he chose. Speaks of his sovereignty. His sovereignty and rule within the church. See, that's why the church at Corinth was having such issues. There were certain segments of that church that in that time when the church was being established, there were certain gifts, that, gifts of miracles, healings, gifts to be able to speak in different languages, even though you hadn't gone through Rosetta Stone or anything else, man. Just the Lord would just enable you to speak a language. I mean, how neat would that be? And so some of these people looked at the more spectacular giftedness in the body. Maybe their gift was mercy. God put them in that body at Corinth, that church at Corinth, to exercise the gift of mercy. And they looked at these other guys getting all this attention. I want that. I don't want this. This doesn't get me any attention. Just listening to people whine on about their problems. That gift of mercy, I I want this one. Look at this guy. Man, he's able to speak languages he doesn't even know. This guy's being able to heal people. The gift of healing. Amazing started a conflict. Look at verse 24. Actually, verse uh, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, he's arranged it, he's put it together, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be what? No division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, what's it say? All suffer together. If one member is honored, we're all rejoiced together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Look at what it says in verse 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues, languages. God has done that. Do we all, are we all apostles? No. Are we all prophets? Are we all miracle workers? Are we all teachers? No. Do we all possess a gift of healing? No. Do we all speak with different kinds of languages? No. Do we all interpret? No. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And he's going to show us in a more excellent way, he says. Picture a football team where everybody was the quarterback. Wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Think of a car factory where everybody put the same part on the car. Wouldn't work. You wouldn't have a complete car. Everybody's got to come together. Some people do the, the taillights. Some people do the headlights. Some people do the engines. Some people do the fenders, the doors. And you end up with a complete car. It's the same way when it comes to the body of Christ. And God, in his sovereignty, takes care of that for us. He dishes out our giftedness. And when he does it, and we listen to that, and we pay attention to how God has uniquely gifted us, and we're okay with that, rather than whining and saying, well, I want to be like that person. Remember, sometimes I'm going down next, next week to this seminar, this conference down in L.A. And, you know, you, you, you sit there, and some of you have been there, but you hear some of these guys preach and teach. It just blows your mind. Sometimes, you know, early on when I used to go to those things, I'd come back here just depressed. <laughs> just depressed. Thinking, man, why can't I be like that? Why can't I do that? Why? Well, I'm not that person. And the biggest danger you can do is try to be somebody you're not. I learned early on in my ministry, I'm not the, the brightest bulb on the block. Okay, I just am not. I mean, I'm very practical. I can help people with that, but I'm not Mr. You know, intelligence. I'm not. And you know what? I'm okay with that. That's just who I am. That's who God gifted me. That's how God's gifted me. So I've got to study extra hard to get points across and stuff. Other guys just have it up here. You know, it amazes me sometimes. I, you know, somebody like uh, David Hawking comes, and I mean, he's just got little bullets up here on his notes, and he's, he's quoting whole chapters of the, the, the Word of God just from memory. Now, it's not that you couldn't get to that point. Anybody with a lot of work could probably do that. But it doesn't just naturally come. And when you... Understand that we're drawn together as the body of Christ, and yet there's still diversity. We're not all the same, and yet it's done by God's sovereign hand. We realize, finally, that there's a harmony within the body of Christ. 
And that's what he speaks there in verses 15 to to, uh, 20. Talking about, well, the whole, whole body can't be an eye or the whole body can't be a hand. There's a harmony within your, your body. It operates in a certain way. And you know better than I, when something goes wrong with your body, maybe you stub your toe, maybe you got a splinter in your thumb, maybe you know you got a, a back that's out or something. It affects your whole body. I mean, I wish it didn't, but it does. That's the way the body is created. Well, when we come to the the idea of what's your position in the body, what's your role, it says in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians, for the body does not consist of one member, but what? Many. Every believer is part of this unit. Every believer is part of the body of Christ. And every believer is placed there by God through his sovereign hand, verses 15 to 20. We just read that. And don't ever think that your role plays a lesser role because maybe people don't see your role played out. I mean, there's people that come down here weekly and clean the church. Just volunteer their time and clean the church. Don't even know who does it half the time. But it gets done. Never had one of those people come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, you know, I clean the church every week and, and you've never even thanked me. I'd like people to know that I do this every week. Could you please? They would never do that. They'd never think of doing that. Why? Because God's given gift of helps. God's given them a certain ability to, to come alongside. They don't want to be in front. They just want to serve. Every believer plays an important role. See, and that's what I mean. We're, we're all on this playing field together. Don't ever think in your mind, oh, because they're up front singing or because that person preaches or teaches or that person does this, or, oh, they must be more important. No, they're not. They're not. And that's why I say when when you want to be used by God, just start. Start using your gift in whatever way. Just start doing what you like to do within the body of Christ. And he'll begin to expand your responsibility. And he'll begin to use you in greater ways. But you can't just sit around on your hands and say, well, gee, nobody wants to use me. I don't know what to do. Get busy. Do something. It's hard to steer a car that's not moving. We need to be moving. We need to allow God to, to use us within the body of Christ. What's our purpose within the body here? First of all, very simple, to promote unity. To promote unity. That's why we come together as a church. We want to be unified as the body of Christ. We don't want to become disunified. Think if your body, your own body, was not united. You'd be missing something. And I think that we need to be reminded. It says that we are the body of Christ in verse 27. Members in particular, he says. Interesting play here on the world. Words here. He, he calls one local congregation the body of Christ. 
Now, is he saying they're the whole body of Christ? No. There's other churches. But you're all uniquely members in particular, he says. We need to promote that, that unity. We need to remember that it's, it's for mutual care. It says in verse 25 to 26, the way that you, the reason you are gifted, beloved, is for this. It says that there may be no division in the body, that the members may have the same, what? Care for one another. The reason God gifts you is so that you can care for somebody else in the body. Spiritual gifts were never meant to take and go home in your closet and use. So you can edify yourself. And yet, there's a lot in in the the modern day charismatic movement where they use the gift of tongues, they call it. It's a gift of languages, if you want to be biblically correct. And it was a literal language. It wasn't some babbling nonsense that they do today, unfortunately. But they say, no, 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 that's my, that's my prayer language. That's my, you know, that's my uh, angel language. And I do that at home. I don't do it in the, in the, 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 out in the open because people wouldn't understand. So I go home and I do it in my closet. Oh, I just feel so good. It's, and it's all based on a feeling. It's all based on an experience. Do you know what you're saying? No. But God does. So you're telling me that if you spoke English to God, he couldn't understand. But so you've got to speak in this, quote, angel talk. Show me in the scripture, beloved, wherever an angel talked and nobody understood him. Every time an angelic being speaks to a human being in the scripture, it's always clearly understood. And see, the reason I mention that is because that's one of these gifts that people just take and they obliterate the biblical use of it, the biblical reason for it, and they make it a personal thing. Well, no, that edifies me. And they take the whole thing here where Paul talks about, you know, if you're doing that, kind of just babbling away, you're not really edifying the body, you're just edifying yourself. You're lifting yourself up. Where in Scripture are we told to lift ourselves up? I think that's called pride. I think that's maybe one of the problems they had with some of the gifts in this, this New Testament church here in Corinth. They weren't promoting the unity. They weren't practicing mutual care. The only reason God gifts you with anything is so that you can minister to somebody else in the body of Christ. That's it. I mean, think if I said, yeah, you know, God's gifted me to teach and preach. And I love it. And I get ready and I I go in my office and, man, I just preach every week. I just preach, preach, preach. Oh, that's a good point, Steve. That's wonderful. Do you do it to the church? No. It's just for me. It lifts me up. It builds me up. I even do it in the mirror sometimes. It just makes me feel good. You'd go, you're, you're nuts. You've lost it. And yet, for some of these other gifts, it's, oh, that's okay. That's not why they were given. They were given to display the glory of God and to bring the gospel to these people as the church was being established. And the last thing there is participate together in the body Participate together in the body. I read an article, I told the Wednesday night group about, I think it was Yahoo, the new CEO of Yahoo, took over the company and the first thing she did because they're kind of struggling, she said, okay, all you, you workers who work at Yahoo are working, who are working at home, 
guess what? You're not going to work at home anymore. You're going to come here and you're going to sit in an office just like everybody else. They didn't like that. And she said, you know what? Studies, this article went on, it said studies show that there's something about community. There's something about if you can get a workforce together and get them to commune together and to talk together and interact together, that builds up the whole company. Why do we think it's so much different for the church? When we come together as the body of Christ, we're here to commune with one another. We're here to mutually care for one another. We're here to promote the unity of the body of Christ. And you might say, well, I just don't have time. Well, then you need to rearrange your priorities in all honesty because there's something wrong. Christ died for the church. He gave his life for the church. And yet we treat it as just another social thing we go to every week. Something on our our to-do list. Checked it off, went to church on Sunday. We better examine our hearts. We better come back to the point where, you know what? In the New Testament time, when they came together, a lot of times it was under threat of persecution. It was under maybe threat they could lose their life. I would be afraid if our government passed a law that said if you go to church, you're going to be thrown in prison. I'd be afraid to see the attendance the week following, in all honesty. Because I don't think people have it in their priority list in the right place. Next week, we're going to look a little bit more about your giftedness in particular. We're going to talk about some of these these particular gifts that God gives us. But I just want you to be reminded that when we come together as the body of Christ and you're not here, we're not complete. We're just not complete. There's something missing. And, you know, we, we need to make sure that as a church, as a local church especially, that we're we're have our priorities correct. I challenge you to go home this afternoon, sit down and write out how many hours you have in your week. What you use those hours for and how many hours you actually give to God every week. I bet you you'll be appalled. You'll be surprised. Because in America, unfortunately, it's just not a lot. If the pastor goes over five minutes, you know, we're sweating bullets going, oh, man, what's he doing? I mean, they're, you know, they said when we go to India, just get ready because, you know, the services sometimes can go on for hours and hours and hours. You don't know when they're going to stop. They stay there all day. And then they have dinner and then they come back for another service at night. I'm thinking, wow, better get ready for that. I don't know. I don't know if I can handle that. But that's what God calls us to. That's what they did in the New Testament. Daily they went house to house, fellowshipping with one another. Somehow we think that's a foreign concept. We make it out to you know, Sunday and Wednesday night. Man, we think we're doing more than anybody else. And God's going to pat us on the back. He calls us to serve the body of Christ. Not just here within these four walls, but every day. And the reason is, Lord, is, or the reason is, beloved, is so that when people look at this body, that it's dynamic, that it's working, that that it's working for the glory of God. And people will see something different in you. 
in me. And that will bring about opportunities where we can share the gospel of Christ, how he's changed your life, how he's changed my life, how he can change their life, how he can save them from their sin. It's not to have a big church. It's not to build a name for yourself. It's for the glory of God. Glorify thy name. That's that's what we sang this morning. Is that the true calling of our heart? Father, we ask this morning that as we prepare our hearts for our communion time, Lord, that you would remind us that the church is what you gave your son for. You redeemed the church. It says from the beginning of the, before the foundations of the earth, Christ was set apart to die for the church. It says in Ephesians, before the foundation of the earth, you called us to be part of of this thing called the church. And yet so many times we look at it as a thing we do once a week. Lord, change our hearts. Help us to repent of that attitude. Father, that we would begin to show the unity and the mutual care one for another out of pure motives that you would be exalted and lifted up. Lord, we live in a sick world. We live in a sinful world. Think of the young people that just lost their life last week. The families affected. And Lord, people need to hear the glorious gospel of Christ. They need to understand that there's, there's no other way other than the name of Christ. That he came, he paid, he lived a sinless life. He paid on a cruel cross with his own life. The story doesn't end there. We know that he was raised the third day. And he wants us to be raised in new life with him. So he offers us that free gift of salvation. It's free. You don't do anything for it. You can't work for it. It's not about joining a church for it. It's not about praying a prayer for it. He grants it to us. We simply need to lay... Extend our hand and say, thank you, God, for your salvation through Christ. I want to commit my life to him. I want to follow him. He gave so much for me. He's gifted me in so many different ways. I want to be used for his glory, not my own. If there's anybody here this morning who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, I pray that you would cry out to him, Lord, please be merciful to me, a sinner. Help me to see way of salvation that was explained this morning. That I would come to terms with my own sin, put my trust in you and in your work. For Christians, I just pray that we'd be diligent about the things of God. That we'd be reminded that there's a lost and dying world out there quickly going to hell. And God has left us here as the church to bring the glorious message of the gospel to their ears. That some may believe, put their faith, their trust in Christ. Thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.